0: This is Framework Leadership. I'm Ken Engel, and you're listening to Framework Leadership, a podcast about how to bring your personal life and organization to the next level. Today, I'm sitting down with John Brevere, and John Brevere is New York Times bestselling author, teacher, evangelist. He and his wife, Lisa, are the founders of Messenger International, a ministry committed to developing uncompromising followers of Christ. John has a heart to strengthen the local church and has resource leaders across the world through the work of his ministry. And it's a pleasure to welcome you, John, to Framework Leadership.
1: It's a pleasure to be with you, President uh, Engel. I I just have so much respect for what you've done at Southeastern University and all our times that we've spent together in a boardroom or in, in a room with a bunch of people around. I've just loved every minute of it. You are truly a great leader and I'm glad you're doing this podcast.
0: Well, thank you, John. Appreciate that. It's a privilege to serve together. Hey, uh, let's start a little bit about your background. Tell me uh, about what your life was like growing up and and what led you to, I guess, that moment when you knew you were called into ministry leadership.
1: So I was raised in Michigan and a very traditional uh, religious home. And um As I came into college, I played varsity tennis at Purdue University. You know, athletics was my total life. I played Junior Davis Cup. I played the USTA circuit. And now um, as a starting tennis player on Purdue's team, pretty much the only people that got my attention were athletes. And one of the best athletes in the state of Indiana happened to be in my fraternity one night he came up my sophomore year and he just started sharing Campus Crusade for spiritual laws. And um, as he shared with me, I mean, my eyes got open. I realized God really wanted to have a relationship with me and that he loved me uniquely. He loved me deeply. He wanted to make promises to me and keep them. And as this all opened up, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and he filled voids that Uh, Success in tennis, dating the prettiest girls, being on the Dean's list at Purdue, none of that could fill. And I was overwhelmed. Four months later, June the 3rd, 1979, I was filled with the Spirit. And shortly after, uh, the thing I dreaded in life the most, God started calling me to ministry. And I felt this tug. And I was like, Lord, I don't want to be in ministry. And the reason was, I grew up in a small town in Michigan, Michigan. And the only people in ministry I knew was my Catholic priest and uh, also (laughs) a pastor who had a pretty, pretty strange two young men about my age. And I just had a really warped image of ministry. I didn't realize that God really has called his people to excellence, to success, to represent Jesus Christ in this manner. And so I remember um, I was in a meeting with 5000 people. And I knew that there was a calling on my life. And I said, "God, I don't care if I end up in a shack in Africa or if I'm, I'm just in this, you know,, you know w- weird situation. I, I'll do whatever you want because I love you so much." And that's how it began. And the interesting thing is, um, you know, I knew shortly after, just I knew there was a call in my life to preach to the nations of the world. I had gotten several words from leaders. Uh, I knew it in my prayer. And so I thought, I was going to just be a speaker. I never had any idea I'd be a writer because interestingly enough, my very worst subject in high school was English and creative writing and foreign language. So when God spoke to my heart in 1991 that he wanted me to write, I thought he had so many kids. He was just getting us mixed up with one another. So I was like, Lord, you don't want me writing. I'm a terrible writer. Ask my English teachers. And I remember I did nothing for 10 months. And 10 months later, two weeks, within two weeks, two different women came up to me from two different states in the United States. And they both said, John Bevere, if you don't write what God's given you to write, he's going to give the messages to somebody else. And one day you'll have to give an account for it. And they said the exact same words, two weeks apart. And I remember I, I pulled out a notebook piece of paper because we didn't have iPads then. And I, I put a contract up on, this, on the top of this notebook paper. And I wrote a contract with God. I said, I think you're making a huge mistake. I can't write. So I need grace. And now today I look back and the books are literally probably in the tens of, not probably, they are in the tens of millions. They're in 111 languages. And they're in over a hundred nations of the world. So it's very obvious to me that God had a call on my life to write. And I never would have dreamed that that's how I would end up going to the nations of the world is through writings. But the good part about that is I know how terrible of a writer I was in high school. And when I look at my name on these 21 books, I realize that my name's on them. Because I was just the first guy to get to read the messages, I I honestly believe that you know they are his messages for his church to strengthen his people in leadership, in family, in personal growth, in all different manners.
0: Let me ask you this: as you walked that journey in your calling, would you always wait for confirmation, or did you step out in faith and then confirmation would come? How how did you How did you uh, journey that? you know, as you went forth in, in, in what you sense God called you to do?
1: You know, in, in, I really sensed it so strong in my heart. I talked to people I, I trusted, people that really had the right to speak into my life, i.e. my pastors, uh, my wife, uh, people that had mentored me. And I ran it by them. And I said, this is what I'm feeling. And they said, you know, John, I really bear witness with it, especially my wife. Uh, she was very strong about it. She kept saying to me, you need to write. And she knew how terrible of a writer I was. And I said, babe, I, I just think this is crazy, but I, I think you're right. I think I need to do it. And um, I then stepped out. And I remember there was such a, such an expectation in my heart. I knew millions of books would sell. And the first, year, first three years, just a couple thousand sold. And it looked very discouraging, but I knew so strongly in my heart that I was called to to write to the nations of the world. Mm. And so that when it did explode, it didn't surprise me. And so I would say the confirmations were more in seeing the fruit, the results. But I definitely had to step out without any kind of confirmations in the natural realm, just speaking to people that I trusted.
0: Yeah, that's good. You mentioned uh, your wife, Lisa, and and you you started Messenger International uh, together. Can you tell me about what it's like for you both when you were just starting out? And, and I'm curious about what it's like to work with your spouse on a day in and, and, and day out basis.
1: You know, that has been the greatest challenge and the greatest blessing both of my life and her, her life. And she would say the same thing if she was on. Um, there are certain challenges to working with your wife, you bring things home. If there's conflict in the, in the ministry side, the business side, we had to learn how to leave it there and not bring it into our home side. However, the benefits so out, far outweigh the difficulties that I personally am a huge advocate of many, many more people doing this. Every time I hear a husband and wife say, man, we love you and Lisa because you have been a model for us to do the same, I tell them you're going to have challenges, but the benefits far outweigh the challenges. I don't know how many times Lisa has said to me, you know what, I think it'd be just good if I resign and we both (laughs) kind of look at each other and go, no, we're not going to do this because we felt like we were paving a trail. And... Now that we're, you know, I just turned 60, she's 59. It is such a wonderful thing. First of all, the the difficulties that we went through most, most happened in our 30s, early 40s. Now that we're hitting this age, um, it's, it's, as, it, I wouldn't say as smooth as, is a well-oiled machine, but it's so much smoother. I understand her strengths she understands my strengths. She realizes I'm a vision guy. She realizes I'm I'm a guy that has a gift of faith and I'll plow through any difficulties because I just have this amazing gift that God put in my heart of just being able to believe when situations look impossible. But I realize she's a great discerner of character. She's great with language. So we've come to learn our strengths and we deeply respect each other's strengths. I think that... Was the part that we had to really learn on how to work together. But I I am a strong advocate. I mean, we started out just her and I. I remember we were working, you know, till 11 o'clock at night in our little spare bedroom, running tapes, uh, duplicating tapes. Then all of a sudden, our employees got up, you know, within about 15 years to 60 employees. I think now we have about 45, 50 team members. And it just, it's it's a delight to have my wife understanding things that are going on in the ministry and being able to bounce things off of her because she she is so wise and when you know your wife has your heart she will be my first person i go to for advice because that's the thing that's very important to me i want competent people working for us i want people that that are very gifted but what's really important is to know somebody has your heart, and when they have your heart, you know like all, all four of our sons work for our ministry. I know that Lisa and those four sons they they know my heart and they protect it and it's it's a real treasure
0: you, you mentioned four sons and uh, and that are now serving in, in in ministry when when you first started out, how did you balance? Family and work. How did, how did you build the discipline um, into your lives to create that healthy balance for your entire so as, family?
1: So, as you know, I, I traveled a lot and um, I knew when I came home, the most important thing for me was to be home at 3.30 p.m. because that's when my boys got home from school. And when they got home, I, I, if they were seven years old, eight years old, I'm grabbing the plastic back, fat bat, the wiffle ball. And we we made up a little game of how to get home runs, doubles, and singles. Um, I'm I've got the golf club in my hand. If they're a little older, I started them when they were about eight, nine years old with golf. Uh, there was a country club that was in our backyard and the owner was so impacted. One day I came in, just was talking to him. He asked me some questions he was so impacted, he started weeping. And he looked at me, he said, we need you in this country club. And he gave me a free membership. Well, that gave me the ability when I you know, got home, when my boys got home at 3.30, we all just put the the uh, golf bags on our backs. We And the 17th hole was right out our back door. We'd go out in the 17th hole and play it, play 18, go to 10 and play all the way to 16, and then come into the house and eat dinner. And you know, when you get two hours on the golf course, with your 9, 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old sons, you get the most amazing conversations. They bring up frustrations they were going through in school. And so they loved golf. And so we connected in the arena of sports. But when it came to spiritual things, they, were, they would always be very quick to come to dad. And Lisa, I mean, gosh, she's a Sicilian mama. She is probably one of the most amazing mothers I have ever encountered, with the exception of my own mother. And I, a lot of people say, John, how could you be gone 180, 200 days a year when your boys were that age? And now all four of them are working for your ministry and they love you. Well, first and foremost, it was the grace of God. Secondly, it was Lisa. And third, I believe it was the way I connected with them through sports. And I find that this is something that all fathers and mothers should do is find an area that they can connect with with their children? What is their children's interest? And then you develop an interest in that. And then um, what happens is when it comes to spiritual things and really important questions in life and troubles, they'll come to you. I always told my my sons, I said, hey, I'm your dad first and your, and your friend second. But I said, very few times will that conflict. But if there is need for discipline, I'm going to have to be dad. Do you understand that? And they all got it. And then, when they came to work for us, I said, you know, there were things I said, hey, guys, you have to understand, I'm not dad in this office. I'm the CEO of Messenger International. That means you just don't walk into my office. That means, you know, when you want to, that means you've got to do what everybody else does. You got to make an appointment and you're not going to get privileges that other people don't. But now, on the flip side of that, I will say this I've had in meetings, I remember when one of my sons was only with us for two years. I've got all my executive leadership staff sitting around a circle. There's five of them. Most of them had worked with us over 10 years. And they said, well, your son's only been with us two years. I said, excuse me? I said, my son's been with us for 25 years. And all of a sudden, the light came on in those executive leaders. I said, do you understand the sacrifices they made? So... I didn't give them exceptions I wouldn't give other employees, but I do treated them as if they'd been with us longer than any other employee.
0: Wow, powerful parenting wisdom. Hey, you often travel and speak both in the states and overseas in a huge variety of ministry contexts. I'm curious, what are some as you' as you travel, what are some of the trends that you're seeing as it relates to how ministry is changing in the 21st century?
1: You know, um, what I love. there are things I love in the 21st century. The fact that we wised up and became relevant and we realized that in order to reach the Romans, you have to become like the Romans. It, in order to reach the Mongolians, you have to become like the Mo- Mongolians. Well, I, pa- I have a real strong passion for youth. So I think one of my greatest joys has been the fact that we got out of a religious rut where you had to dress a certain way, you, you had to have your church looking like a church. And seeing the innovation of leadership, the relative, relevant uh, ministry that we have now has been my greatest joy, but it's also been a source of greatest frustration. And that is this. I believe that a lot of people struggle with being relevant in the sense that they blur the lines. And I think the lines are pretty clear in scripture. When it comes to message, we must be God-pleasing. When it comes to method, we must be people-pleasing. So I've seen people blur the lines in in the sense that now their message is people-pleasing instead of God-pleasing because they're trying to be relevant. Then I've seen people blur the lines and saying, well, I can only please God, so we're going to have pews, we're going to have a cross, we're going to have a traditional church when that has nothing to do with anything that God says in His Word. That's all about method. And so um, that's been the greatest source of joy, I think, and the greatest source of frustration because we are seeing so many people reached now in this 21st century because we became relevant and i think we actually would have went into the dark ages had we not done this like europe went into the dark ages so i would say i love that i love the fact that we have embraced team leadership i hated and i i, I i'm i'm pretty strong about this and and i hope i'm not being too strong for our, your listeners i hated the empire type of leadership and back in the 1980s when i first started in ministry It was the the main leader was on a, almost like on a, a pedestal and everybody else was beneath. And there wasn't team dynamic. There wasn't discussions. And it was whatever the leader said, whatever he came up with, that's what everybody did. I particularly love sitting around with my leaders and talking and hearing their hearts and hearing what's, what God's put in them, hearing their great innovation, their ideas. And drawing from those ideas. I think to me, that has been the most fun change in the 21st century as we went from the empire to more of a kingdom group uh, leadership. Now, don't get me wrong, there's been a handful, and my team understands this. Um, I remember when God, you know, I, I, I haven't mentioned this, but our ministry in the last 10 years. Well, actually, it's been the last nine years. We've given away 21.6 million resources to pastors and leaders in 98 nations and 111 languages. And I remember when God spoke to me, it was so clear. It was one of those encounters you'll never forget. It was May 31st, 2010. And God said, you've been faithful with the English speaking community. I want you to get your resources into the hands of every pastor in the world. And I remember walking in and I said, guys, how many, how many resources did we give to pastors and leaders overseas last year? And my CEO, who happened to be my oldest son, said, well, we gave 33000 And I said, that's pathetic. I said, I want to give away 250000 books to pastors and leaders overseas this year. And the whole room went silent. Lisa said she tasted a throw up in her mouth. <laughs> that's the way she describes the <laughs> moment. And the room went dead silent. And my son, oldest son, as chief operating officer said, "I that's not realistic. I need to give my team a realistic goal. And I'll never forget, I got pretty strong with him. And I said, we're giving away 250,000 books. And the next day, he kind of said, Dad, I mean, you you kind of took the air out of the room. And I said, I didn't say, do you think we should do it? You know, that's the way I normally lead because I love group input. I... I I came into the room, excuse me, and I said, we're going to give away. And, you know, three weeks later, a a man heard through the grapevine that we were going to do this and gave us $300,000. And then four months later, another businessman flew up and gave us $750,000. And my son just was like, dad, if you tell us to give a million books away next year, we're going to do it. And I said to him, you know, that if I know that I know that I know, and this may happen maybe once every two, three years, that God has told us to do something, you got to trust me on it. And, you know, you know, we all look back now and we think, wow, we wouldn't have given away 21.6 million resources had that not started in that boardroom way back in 2011. And so that's the only time that my team knows, they, they know that, and they trust me with this because I don't abuse it. If I know that I know that I know that I have something in my heart, they say, just tell us and we'll do it. Because they've seen time and time again, God confirm it, if that makes sense. But there's a holy fear of God in me that I don't do that unless I know I've heard from God, if that makes
0: sense. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, I mean, you're, you, I love how you talk about empowering your team. And, and when you describe your own personal leadership, what are those strong values that you think will empower and motivate and, and bring, um, uh, you know, an incredible excitement about what God's doing in, in the midst of, of, of what you're calling your team to do?
1: Well, you know, one thing I always want to make sure is our team sees the fruit of what happens, of what we're doing. And uh, we have a thing called Messenger Stories. We actually have a couple of people that go out and get the stories of how lives have been changed, how how nations have been changed. Uh, our international director will bring literally reports back of how entire nations have been impacted. I mean, the the government of China literally printed 20,000 beta Satan books for the government church i'm the only western christian author other than john maxwell that has ever been printed by the chinese uh, government we're the most published authors in vietnam there's i mean there are um there's no other author secular or christian that is more published than lisa and i in vietnam and yet that's one of the five communist nations in the world Um, I'm always trying to show the team the result. And one thing I do with our team is I constantly show them how that when David went with the 400 men and recovered what Amalek stole and the 200 stayed back and guarded the equipment. When he came back, he said, those who stayed and guarded the equipment are rewarded equally to those who went on the battlefield. And I said, David is a type of Christ. And I'm constantly saying this to our team. Do you understand that every soul that Lisa and I touch, every soul, you get full credit just as we do, because we're a team, we're a body, and therefore, God will reward this body, not just the mouthpieces of the body. And when, when we were, um, when our boys were in high school and, and, and Lisa started to travel, I remember sitting around the dinner table one night and God gave me this idea. I said, hey, guys, I said, I, I need to ask you something. Now your mom's starting to travel because Lisa stayed home until our boys got into their teen years. And I said, do you resent the fact that now both of us are on the road? And, and believe me, we never abused it, especially Lisa. Lisa was always back as fast as possible. I said, do you resent it or do you you see it as us being taken from you? I said, or do you see it as your ability to sow into the lives of millions of people? My oldest son spoke up. He was 17 years old at the time. He said, oh, dad, we see it as this is our privilege of being able to sow into the, the hundreds of thousands, the millions of people by letting you and mom travel. This is our way of sowing into those people's lives. This is our way of giving to those people. All three of his brothers went, yeah, we totally agree. And I said, you guys, you know, just because of that attitude, do you realize that every soul your mother and I touch, you're going to get equal reward for it at the judgment seat of Christ one day. And I remember just seeing almost the pleasant surprise on their faces. They, They were like, really? I said, yes, really. And I would cite what David said. And, you know, I think a real important part of leadership is to give ownership to all the employees. The more ownership you can give them, the more excited they get about what you're doing. And, and I watched this with you. I, I've watched you with your guys. I've watched you sit around and, and they have ownership of what's happening at SEU. And right. I, to me, that is what creates a very strong team. Is when they realize, okay, it's not just the guy who came up with the original vision. It's all of us together now. Right, we right. have ownership of what we're doing. Yeah, I have literally gone over to the, where, or to the warehouse guys and said, do you understand every life that's changed, the reward that you're going to get? I've, I've shared with the accounting people. Do you realize keeping Lisa and I out of jail <laughs> because you keep such good books? <laughs> Do you realize all the people are going to be touched that wouldn't have been touched had we not been in jail? You know, and I'll laugh, I'll (laughs) joke about it. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just wonderful to see their faces light up because they know that Lisa and I really mean this. We're we're not just saying this to appease them. I really believe this. And, and so I, I, I know with joy one day, it won't just be John and Lisa. It'll be our team members, our sons, our grandchildren. It will stand with us as Jesus said, thank you for obeying me and doing what you've done.
0: Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, when you empower a team, it's, it becomes so contagious when you begin to realize we're all in this together. We're being obedient with our unique gifts and talents and abilities. And and he's put us together to accomplish what, what he has for us. And there's nothing Greater than to experience that kind of fruit. there's no doubt about it. I got two more questions and then we're going to close it with uh, our fire round of questions here. Uh, in a recent in- Instagram post, you you mentioned um, the importance of obedience when it comes to calling. and you know the privilege we get to uh, come alongside these amazing students here at Southeastern you know helping them to discover their divine design. But how how do uh, we discover calling and how do we stay faithful? to that calling along the journey?
1: Boy, there's so much. And I'm actually writing on this right now. It's really interesting you ask that question. Uh, Number one, I believe the Bible when it says those that are planted in the house of God shall flourish. If you plant a pear tree or a pear seed, you don't get an apple tree. When you're planted in the house of God, if you're called to the marketplace, you're called to healthcare, you're called to government, you're going to know it. Because there's going to be desires. And when you delight yourself in the Lord, he places his desires in your heart. The other thing is the giftings that are in your life will match. You know, I I remember when I was um, contemplating and really knowing there was a call in my life for ministry. I remember a pastor very wisely looked at me. He said, if you could do anything, what would you do? I said, well, I'd like to play in Wimbledon. (laughs) (laughs) And yet I knew as I was talking to him, I said, I don't have the gifts to play in Wimbledon. I mean, I had the gifts to play collegiately. I had the gifts to play Junior Davis Cup, but I was smart enough to know I didn't. I wasn't that gifted, and I knew that you know I'd been practicing eight hours a day all my teen years in tennis, and so I said, "No, there's nothing else other than playing in Wimbledon I'd rather do in life." So that that you know those desires, the giftings, because I had older ministers say, "My gosh, you have a great ability to communicate," so that. Combined. And 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 I will say the Bible says God rewards those who diligently seek Him in faith. Not it doesn't say God rewards those who casually seek Him in wonder and doubt. So there was a lot of seeking. And then I'd listen to the desires of my heart when I was in prayer. And over and over again, I felt God just tugging towards ministry. So, you know, number one, you've got to be willing to do whatever God's called you to do. Number two, you've 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 got to be planted in a local church and 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 planted in the house of God. Number three, you need to just discover what are the desires that are deep in you and do those desires match up with the giftings that are on you? Um, I find that, you know, I know God never would call me to be a worship leader because my kids throw things at me if I sing in the house. So, you know, and that's when they used to live with us. Um, They're all married except for one now, but that's how you discover. And you can't be afraid you know, if you look at the guy that hit his talent, he was afraid. You have to be willing to fall on your face and, and make mistakes. And so I would say to everyone, you know, to all the... I, I always tell students, if you just do these things, make sure you stay free from entanglements, the love of money. Because if you look, there were people that wanted to follow Jesus, but they were they wanted security. They wanted relationships over Jesus, and they wanted money over Jesus. And I don't have time to really teach on that. But if you stay free from those, if you look inside and look at your true desires, if you match it up with your gifts, I believe you're going to find what you're called to do.
0: Yeah. Can't wait to read that book. We'll definitely use it here on campus. That's for sure. One final question. Your latest book is called God, Where Are You? Tell me about what it means to walk through the wilderness and why you felt inspired to write that.
1: That book is so important. I used, You know how Paul said I was the chief master sinner or chiefest of sinners? I, I, I always said I was the chief master striver. I mm-hmm. was constantly birthing Ishmael's, constantly trying to bring to pass what God had called me to do. And it really sent me into a time of refining. I look back in the 19, mid-1980s, I felt like I was ready to go preach all over the world. And I realized that if God would have sent me then, I would have been a very narcissistic, insecure leader. If you look at Joseph, he shows up on the scene. He's a tattletale. He's a bragger. He's boasting about his dreams. He talks down to people. But after he goes through the refining, he's got the character to lead. And I find that wilderness is not a time when God puts people on the shelf. It's not a time when he wastes time. He's not rejected them. He's preparing them. So we look at hardship. We look at trials as delays, as annoying, as they're preventing us from moving on in life. When in reality, I believe if you're serving God with all of your heart, all they are are time periods where your character is getting strengthened for greater things ahead. So I see it as a time of preparation. And in you, if you see it correctly, you get through it. Joseph had a proper, a proper view of what he was going through. You never find him complaining. The children of Israel, God only wanted them in the desert for refining to get them purified. Their motives purified for one year, but they extended it to 40. You sure can't shorten your refining time, but you can lengthen it. And I find that it's important. And the reason I wrote that book is because I believe God's raising up an army that are going to go, they're going to go into government, they're going to go into healthcare, they're going to go into the marketplace. And their training is hardship. It's the fire of the furnace that brings that impurities to the surface. And I'll never forget, you know, I was first, the very first refining I ever went through as a Christian, I was mad at everybody. And God said to me one day, He said, Son, look at your gold ring on your finger. And he said, it looks like pure gold, doesn't it? And I said, yeah. He said, what happens if you put it in a furnace and you heat it up a couple thousand degrees? I said, well, it liquefies. He said, then what happens? I said, well, the impurities come to the surface. He said, they appear, right? He said, you keep asking me where all this is coming from. It's been in there all along. You didn't see it, but I did. And I've allowed you to see it. He said, now you can keep blaming your pastor, keep blaming your your family, your friends, And he said, it'll all go back down. We got to start again. Or he said, or you can own it. And he said, if you own it and repent of it, I'll skim it right out of your life. And I find that a lot of people extend their refining time because they don't cooperate with what God's doing in them. And I wanted that book to help people have the understanding. You know, you come to Colorado, everybody wants to ski, they want to snowboard, Can you imagine putting your snowboard on, you put on your whole snowsuit, you get on the chairlift, you go up, you fall flat on your face. Why? Because it's July. (laughs) You should have had your mountain bike. You shouldn't have had your snowboard. You were operating incorrectly in a season that called for a different behavior. And I look at the sons of Issachar, they understood the times. So they knew what Israel should do. And I wanted people to have understanding of what a wilderness time was so they could cooperate with it so they could move on into what God has called them to do. That's why I wrote that book. That wasn't the oh. elevator version. That was the longer version.
0: That <laughs> <It> was great. <laughs> hey, I uh, want to close this out, man. This has been a great conversation together. I want to close this out with three questions. I always ask everybody when we have a chance to to talk. Uh, first question is, you have a, a, a calendar that is cleared and you've been mandated to take a perfect day off. What's that look like
1: for you? Huh, spending the day with my wife walking on the beach. Ah, sounds good. Today. There's nothing better.
0: What historical leader living or dead would you love to sit down and, and have a cup of coffee with? I, oh boy.
1: I would have to, this one's tough. I, okay. You're, you're going to think this is crazy, but, um, Teddy Roosevelt always amazed me. I loved his cavalier leadership style. And I just would love to sit down with with him. If we're talking about a Christian leader, I think without a doubt, it would be Spurgeon.
0: Mm. Yeah, those would be great conversations. Hey, last final question. What's your next big dream that you want to accomplish?
1: I want to see my sons and spiritual sons and daughters go farther than what I've done and I want to it, I want to I want to equip them and my greatest joy now will be to see them and Addison's first book is being published in January Arden's first book will be published next January I really want to see these guys walk in all that God has called them to do that will be my greatest joy in my next season
0: mm. It's an awesome, uh, awesome desire and dream. That's for sure. Hey, I appreciate John. You're, you you know, you, wow, you have a powerful, discerning, prophetic voice as it relates to how to do life with Jesus, how to understand calling, and how to lead in the context that God places on you. And what a great, great conversation today on these these issues. And so grateful for your voice here at Southeastern uh, that you come here often and empower both you and Lisa and empower our students that God sends our way. And we're just so grateful for your investment and time in the. It truly is an honor.
1: It truly is an honor. I absolutely love what you guys do down there. And can I say, for years and years, I wanted to be able to recommend a Bible school or a Christian university to people. And it is first out of my mouth when people say, hey, where should I send my daughter? Where should I send my son? I'm just so grateful for what you've done. And I, I just want to encourage you to continue to think outside the box because you've done that and you've done well. And so thank you for what you've done. I really mean that.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. Hey, for more on Pastor John Bevere and Messenger International, visit messengerinternational.org. Thanks for joining us on Framework Leadership today, John. To connect with Kent, visit kentingle.com. Also, make sure to follow him on Twitter at Kentingle and on Facebook at kent.ingle. Thanks for listening to Framework Leadership.